Duff alerts us to their presence before the doorbell rings. Paul bolts from our naked tangle into gym shorts and a t-shirt. I stay unmoving under the cool sheets, my back to him. In spite of the collective disappointment and frustration, he kisses me quickly before descending the stairs to greet the unwelcome interlopers into our morning of unsuccessful lovemaking. Heart pounding, I pull a nightgown over my raw skin. I wait until they move into the kitchen with our newfoundland duff in excited tow, his nails clicking on the wood and then tile floor behind the men before I move to the top of the stairs. I am out of sight but can hear their questions and Paul's calm responses. I wait for my cue to join him, then quietly repeat a mantra with each step. We will not be caught. We will not be caught. We will not be caught. We will get away with it. Little do I know that two detectives showing up at our door will be the easiest part of today. I push pills for a living. I'm paid ridiculously well for it. I've spent the last 20 years getting to know doctors and what they need to help their patients feel better. I know how to talk to them in a way that allows them a feeling of superiority, but they also trust what I have to say and want what I sell. I can make side effects and drug names sound poetic. I can also tell in a matter of minutes which perfect pill will work the best for each person I encounter. I especially know the chemical alchemy that works best for me. Self-awareness is important. By the time I reach my desk, it is well past 9 a.m., and the morning's events so far have me rattled. I feel like we composed ourselves as well as we could, but doubt and worry linger. I've treated myself to an extra chill pill on the commute to regain some measure of calm. The red light on my phone blinks ominously. Mark has already sent me an email to come to his office and a nearly simultaneous text reiterating the request. I look up and see him standing in the doorway of his office with his usual Starbucks order in hand. Marv is written on the cup in sloppy cursive, and I laugh in spite of the day's tone so far. In his other hand is his usual prop, an unlit Cuban, which he'll chew and slobber over on and off all day until he can smoke it in the comfort of his home. His face looks more serious than smug, which is unusual. He summons me with a gesture and turns on the heels of his Gucci shoes. Someone could use a Xanax. I guess I can't blame him. I've just learned that he's also having some trouble at home. I raise my eyebrows in his direction and deposit my stuff on my chair. I try not to pay too much attention to the conspicuous glances of my co-workers. Most of them are medicated, from Alprazolam to Zoloft, but there are more than a few whose dosage I could recommend upping. It is a remarkably unhappy group of people given the mood enhancers we have access to. I swallow back the growing feeling of dread that started brewing with my unexpected visitors this morning, steal myself with a flick of half an oxy into my mouth, and wash it down with my coffee. Always black. The dairy and sugar will kill you. I head toward Mark's office. Rebecca, take a seat. 
It is immediately apparent that he is not closing the door in the same way he has been in previous weeks, when cubicles emptied, and he's tried to convince me of the virtues of the magic bottle of vodka in his desk, known to transform bad decisions into irresistible ones, like frantic clothing removal. Unluckily for him, I don't believe in magic, and both vodka and Mark make me nauseous. But he has been more persistent with Sasha gone, and the alarming rate of my increasing cravings and depleting supply is making it harder to say no to him.' 